with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And I'll get it out of the way right now. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. May the 4th be with you. Okay, now that's out of the way. Okay, like we've had so many in the past days. Beautiful sunny morning out there. It's supposed to cloud up this afternoon, but there's not supposed to be any precipitation. Alan Wishart in the host chair as usual. Steve on the board. Good show lined up as usual. And we're going to start by uh, doing something that's obviously close to my heart as one of the people here at CFIS. Uh, Doug Jack is putting together something. And Doug, my first question is, is it pronounced Woogie's History Corner or Woogie's History Corner? <laughs> well, think of the term boogie woogie. Okay, perfect. Woogie. Okay, so so it is all it, and it's not just music, is it? Like you, you're putting together a series of videos here. Yes, I am. I uh, well, I'm at that age where I've sort of generated some history of my own. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've always been a history buff. I love to tell stories. So, yeah, I've got history of music, and I'll have history of some mining stuff, mechanical stuff, and history of Prince George and things around it. Yeah. So, so are you tying all of these together in each of the history corners that you're putting out? Like, do you start, do you talk about the music, and then you also talk maybe about what was happening in Prince George at that time? Uh, I don't necessarily tie them all together. Mm-hmm. Each episode sort of stands on its own, and they don't necessarily fall in any uh, logical order. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just seems like I get kind of cards and letters, you might say, from viewers, and they suggest things. Like, I just finished uh, episode number four, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, a, it's on the CN Bridge, actually. It's oh. um, been very well received. Yeah. And a little bit about the Prince George Experimental Farm. And, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, what it was like being in Prince George. Now, the music that you are talking about in Woogie's History Corner, what era are we talking about there? Like, is there a specific era that you're looking at the music from, or is that going to be kind of jumping around a bit? <laughs> well, I guess if we had to to narrow it down, we would, we would take music out of the... 50s, 60s, and 70s. A lot of the hit songs and big artists, everybody from Elvis Presley to Waylon Jennings to Frank Sinatra. Music. And uh, that would be the era, because that was sort of my era. Music from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Gee, why does that sound familiar to me sitting here in the CFIS studios? <laughs> yeah, well, it was an interesting era for music. <laughs> Now, where did the idea come from? Like, is this something you've been thinking about for a while and just got around to doing, or did you just suddenly wake up one day and say, I'm going to put together a video? <laughs> well, at the start of my videos, I have a little introduction, and so my friends and family have been listening to me tell stories about, because I was a professional musician for many years mm-hmm. on the road, and then plus, you know, I worked in the bush as a mechanic and I've been in gold mining. My dad was a bush pilot. I've had a lot of experience. And sure, you get to an age, I think, Alan, where you kind of think, well, I should start putting some of this stuff down. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. Now, how did you decide on what the first one was going to be? <laughs> well, I don't know. The first one, let's see, the very first one. The first one was kind of uh, when we lived down in uh, 
in Nevada, and then I talked about Elvis Presley watching the first Elvis show uh-huh. uh, where they were talking about censoring him. And mm-hmm. uh, well, they actually never censored him at all, but anyway, they talked about it. And then he kind of went from there. And it's funny, you can take uh, a trivial piece of history that maybe looks trivial on the surface, but you dig into it. Mm-hmm. And by golly, sometimes there's a story there. And is that what you kind of look for? Like, do you plan out each segment totally before you even start working on it? Or do you get a basic idea for what you want to talk about? And then, as you say, start doing the digging and kind of go, wow. <laughs> I think a little bit of both. I think I researched some of it. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to get the, the facts straight as oh, much come as I can. <laughs> but uh, having said that, if it's a good story mm-hmm. and it comes from reputable sources, I'm going to use it. Yeah. Do you ever sort of put a, a listener warning on some of them, though, and say, that, you know, this is a story that's been making the rounds, and I've heard it told by a number of people in the music business who I trust, but nobody can really give a precise date or anything like that for it. Do you ever do yes. something? Yes, I've done, I've done that. And sometimes I invite a viewer, if you, if you know something that I don't, and you have some further information... Or if you hear me say something that you know is wrong, <laughs> please let me know. So how far in advance, I, I think I already know the answer to this question from the way you've been talking, but how far in advance do you plan your episodes? <laughs> well, generally about a week. Okay. About, uh, about it. So... So when you say you plan them over a week in advance, so if you came up with the idea for an episode today, you would be putting it up on Facebook next Tuesday, possibly. Yeah, that's kind of the way it works. But you know, it's it's funny. You get a, a plan going in your head, and yeah. then I'll storyboard it up onto a marker board. Sorry, keep my facts straight. Mm-hmm. But when the camera starts rolling, and you actually start into. And you let your imagination run, and you and you start to get into the story. Sometimes the plan sort of changes <laughs> somewhat. Now, do you do you try to keep the Woogie's history corner to basically a set length for each episode, or do you kind of just let it flow? <laughs> well, I've, I've had uh, lots of friends of mine say, "Oh, you know, it's too long. You, you got to shorten that thing up." I mean, you, you know, you're you're, you're getting way too. Well, I think, well, yeah, I mean, they say the average length should be about 12 minutes. Yeah, well, yeah I suppose. <laughs> Gee, I'll tell you what, you get going into a good story, and uh pretty hard to condense somebody's life into, say, eight minutes of story. I mean, it's, how do you do that? Yeah. Are there any times where you've actually started working on an episode and realized as you even got maybe partway through, okay, I may have to split this into two different shows because there's just too much to talk about in one, even if I do go a little bit over? <laughs> just about every time, actually. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, what you want to do is, I don't want to become a Wikipedia no. um, of, of somewhere. I mean, if, if somebody wants to learn the, all the little details, they could do that, but... What I'm looking for is human interest stories. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for the back, 
I'm looking for like the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. The rest of the story. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. That's what I'm looking for, and uh, I'm looking for things like the last one. I, or the very last one I did was on Chris Christopherson, the great Ooh. songwriter. Yes, and that's uh, coming out next Monday, okay. and uh, that's going to be our good one because I got some great stories, and there's things that people have probably haven't heard that came right from Chris himself. Yeah, well, he was one of those guys who. And I hope I'm not stepping on your uh, history corner when I say he was one of those guys who he did a lot of things, shall we say, legitimately that a lot of people don't know about. Like he had an awful lot of careers in one lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, just to give you a real brief one, I mean, he graduated from Oxford University in English with an English literature major. Yeah. And I think he went he over went into the army. He uh, went over he, there and wrote scholarship, he, didn't he? Chopper pilot. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy was—he's no dummy. No. Now, I'm just going to throw this one out because the story I've heard about him—he wrote Sunday Morning Coming Down. Yep. Have you been able to verify whether or not he did in fact fly a helicopter and land on the lawn at Johnny Cash's place to, to give him the song? Absolutely. And that did, did happen. <laughs> now the story. There's a few different little stories floating yeah. around about exactly how this went down. But the one that I like that comes from Chris is that yep, he put that chopper right down in Johnny's front yard. And uh, <laughs> tell you what, you would somebody lands a Huey in your front yard, you're going to hear it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he got out, and walked up to the door with a beer in one hand and a sheaf of thongs in the other, <laughs> knocked on the door, and Johnny is coming. Yep. Yeah, you don't know me, but I'm Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash. Come on in. You know, and they, they started a friendship from that. I can believe oh, yeah, it. it's true. Absolutely. Because Chris, he again, there's so many of them, but Chris Christopherson especially is one of those guys who I would have loved to have sat down with at one point and maybe not even interviewed him, but just talked to him. Yeah. Because he would just have so many stories and so many different opinions on things as well. Well, I'll tell you what, when you, uh, for everyone to view in, dial in Woogie's History Corner next Monday for episode five, mm -hmm. or, uh, and you're going to get a, you're going to get, uh, some details of sitting down and talking with Chris Topper and his involvement with Janis Joplin and mm -hmm. just a whole bunch of different stuff. He was, yeah, you're absolutely right, Alan. He was an amazing guy. Yeah. Still and, is. I mean, you know, he's still around. Okay. Really? I thought he passed away recently. No. no. no? Okay. No, he retired officially. Oh. Retired oh. in twenty twenty one because he said he was having trouble remembering stuff. Okay. So, you know, not to put anything on it, but possibly recognizing what, say, somebody like Glenn Campbell had gone through. When he had, oh, yeah. because he had yeah. Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, I can't remember which. No, no, it was Alzheimer's. That's what I thought because it was a memory thing, and I know Parkinson's doesn't affect the memory because my dad no, had. No, uh, Parkinson. I think that's uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox is the the best known, and of course, I think part of that's because again he's Canadian too. I think that helps yeah, that people know right, him. Right. But uh, no. So, how often do you put out? The Woogie's History Corner, then? Well, initially, when I started doing them after the first of the year, I wanted to do them once a week. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty <laughs> ambitious uh, schedule. Mm -hmm. 
But so I took some kind of time off and went to work during the winter for two months running a road grader right up in heavy snow country. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I come back. So I'm back in the saddle now. I'm hoping to put them out about every week or two. I, I don't really want to nail it right down to once a week because uh, it's a bit of work. Now, one last question about Woogie's History Corner. Then i got something else to go to for a few minutes. Um, where can people find Woogie's History Corner? Well, there's links on Facebook that'll mm-hmm. take it. It's on YouTube. It's right. whole, that's where it's actually. Yep. So, but there'll be links on Facebook and uh I'm kind of new at this, so I'm still learning how to, you know, get more links and more, you know, set up on it. And a lot of it's just word of mouth. I, I send out stuff to friends, and they send out to their friends, you know. Now, something else I understand from one of your Facebook posts is you've got a book coming out fairly soon, too. Yes, I do, Ella. Thank you for asking. Yeah. It's called Rattlesnakes, Airplanes, and Gold. Interesting combination. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It's it's kind of a adventure autobiography because there's a pile of stories in there from, well, myself, mm-hmm. but a lot of them my dad, who was an adventurer like you would believe. And uh, like I said, he was a bush pilot, a mining man. He was educated. So anyway, it's a really good read. And uh, that will be coming out hopefully in June. Okay. Now, first question right off the bat, then. Rattlesnakes, airplanes, and gold. Are there any of the stories that combine all three of those? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <Whoa. laughs> There's a few here. Okay. There, You know, it kind of went from Nevada to Alaska, back to Nevada, then Idaho State, over to Washington State, then up into B.C., <laughs> <laughs> the story kind of gets around, and then, and, you know, they all had, well, not all of them, but, uh, you know, there was rattlesnakes, airplanes, and gold, and, and, and just about every story, one of them was in there. So that is hoping, you're hoping to have that come out in June. I am guessing the best place, if people want to keep an eye open for that, is, again, your Facebook page, because I've got a feeling you'll probably, yeah. I've not, you'll probably mention that when it happens. Yeah, oh yeah, so I'll be pushing that, and I'll be pushing it on Woogie's Corner. It's kind of coming out through Freezing Press out of Victoria. Okay. And uh, it'll be out in paperback and in uh, hard copy. So, yeah, we're really excited about it, because uh, then we have book number two will be started up this fall, because this, this is, covers a period from, oh, roughly 1940-some mm-hmm. up to seventy. Okay. And then there's that's just one period. And then from 1970 to 1990 is another whole book, and then some. We've got lots of stories here. I was going to say, it sounds like you are going to be busy for a while, sir. Well, yeah, I got to quit this work, and I, I get talked <laughs> into going to where I talk myself and going to work, and you know, like I'm at an age where I should not be doing that, and I get tempted so i gotta quit that <laughs> okay doug jack let you get back to woogie's history corner and writing your second book but thank you very much for taking the time this morning to bring us up to date well alan i appreciate it very much and thank you for the uh the time and uh we'll talk to you down the trail somewhere i'm sure i'm, I'm sure we will thanks doug okay enough. take a break and be back with more after nine 
Join us each week for Music and the Spoken Word, featuring the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, the longest-running, continuous weekly network broadcast in the world, celebrating over 90 years on the air. Each episode features modern and traditional arrangements of spiritual, patriotic, classical, and contemporary music, and a timely, inspiring message. Music and the Spoken Word with the Tabernacle Choir. Sunday mornings at 8, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. In any volunteer organization, each role integrates into each level, function, and activity of the organization. The Vantage Point can help you lay out the optimal volunteer setup for your organization with a special chart. All the people work together because they are passionate about the cause and clear about their role. Each volunteer is part of the team while being clearly accountable to one other person. To download this organizational chart, go to thevantagepoint.ca. Last summer, as COVID-19 created economic hardship for creatives everywhere, a variety of charities were set up to offer assistance. With the backing of Songwriters of North America, the Songwriter Fund was created by songwriters for songwriters. With the repercussions of the pandemic continued to impact the music industry, the fund is still accepting donations as it gears up to provide another round of much-needed relief to songwriters. To learn more about the fund, or to apply or donate, visit songwriterfund.com. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon, wind from the west at 20, a high of 12 with a high UV index, a few clouds tonight and a low of minus 1. For Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud, wind southeast 20 in the afternoon, a high of 15 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And if I'm talking with Doug Jack about a book that he's got coming out, hopefully next month, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of books. Amy Donjal, the Manager of Communication and Engagement with the Prince George Public Library, joins us. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Alan. So I was looking, I was on the library website yesterday evening, just yeah. checking for maybe a couple more talks. I was noticing the you've got the hours posted into Phase 4, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking, those hours look like they're pretty close to what the quote-unquote normal hours were before COVID. How close are you? Um, we're getting back there. Uh-huh. Uh, we used to be open till 9 at night, right. so we're still a little ways off. Mm-hmm. But everything slowly but surely. Now, I guess the big thing to talk about, and this is something where I'm going to start digging through my closets looking for those books I took out five years ago <laughs> and maybe forgot about. You're get, you guys are getting rid of overdue fees. Yeah, so we actually haven't charged overdue fees since the beginning of the pandemic Mm. because we didn't want people to, you know, especially early on, feel like they had to leave their houses Mm. to return their materials. Um, But we have recently made that change permanent. Wow. And now, what was the, like, I understand the reason, obviously, because you just explained it, for why you started the process. What made you decide, what made the, I guess it was the library board for the most part, what made the library board decide to just make it permanent? So this has been something that library staff and the library board have been working towards for several years. So it was in the plans before the pandemic began. Um, But one of the reasons that people have championed this move and that we've seen it across the country is that it eliminates that barrier that prevents people from coming back to the library. They're they're afraid that they walk in through the door and an alarm will go off because they've got an overdue book and they will immediately be seized by the library guards. Uh, well, I hope that they're not afraid of that. Okay. But, um, you know, for some people, paying a fee is just a nuisance. But yeah. for others, 
you know, it's it's just not possible. So it prevents them from being able to come in and, and borrow more items. We actually had someone comment today that they're so excited that they can finally come back to the library. <laughs> so basically, it's now a permanent grace period because I know, I, I want to say every couple of years or maybe even every year, you usually had like a two or three week grace period where people could bring back overdue items without being charged for them. And so now this is almost like a permanent grace period. Yeah, we've done some amnesty programs over the years. We did food for fines. And then um, I think two years ago, we did a fine forgiveness uh, program in the schools throughout uh, Prince George. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we'll be able to welcome everyone back who's had um, fines on their account. Now, some fines and fees will still be accrued. So if you lose a book or you damage it, Uh, um, you may still get fines for that. Yeah. But if you bring the book back and it's in good condition and everything, when they bring them in and they are late, do they have to do anything special? Like, should they go to the front desk and turn the book in and say, this book is overdue so the people there will know where to start looking? Yeah, and if uh, if people think that they have fees on their account, they can just call us and talk to us oh. about their account, or they can come into our branches and have the conversation there. Okay. So our staff are actually working through all the accounts that have overdue fees on them, trying to eliminate those. But, of course, there are so many that it's a big project, <laughs> and it will still take, like, several months to finish. Yeah, now, because when you started the suspension back in March 2020, were they able to do the stuff on the computer as of then, or did the computer still keep working with overdue fees from then, even though you were basically saying, no, 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 it's not happening? Yeah, we had to do a lot of work um, behind the scenes <laughs> to make sure that that didn't happen, um, and so do a lot of changes to our system. But no, people did not accrue fees um, yeah. when we said that they wouldn't over the over that period. Okay. Um, people can still, they don't have, if they're bringing it back overdue books, do they, are you asking that they come into the library to do so, or can they use the book drop? Um, people are always welcome to put their returns in the book drop. Yeah. So it's just, maybe if you've got the chance, maybe just take it in and let the people know that this is an overdue book so that they can start looking for it in the right place. And if you say it's 10 years overdue, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, we may not uh, still need it in the collection if it's 10 years overdue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick question. I don't know if you even know the answer to this. Do you know, does the library almost keep records of what the longest overdue book was? You know, I actually don't know that, but okay. I'll find it out for next time we chat. Okay. Because, you know, you keep hearing, like, you know, about libraries somewhere where they've got a book that was returned that was 50 years overdue because it was like the guy's mother or father took it out and just left it somewhere and it got forgotten. Yeah. So, I think I read somewhere, I think it was in England, somebody returned a book, I want to say it was to like, you know, one of the older collections, obviously, which was like 300 years overdue. Wow. What, what would the fine be for that? Uh, well, they cap at a certain... Oh, good. Uh, there's, a, there's a top end of that. Yeah. <laughs> Brother. Because that, yeah. And now, the other thing I was noticing in the press release that you guys sent out about the elimination of overdue fees is the loan periods are back to normal, if you will. Right. So, again, you know, back in March 2020, when we were trying to encourage people not to uh, to leave their houses, basically, mm-hmm. we didn't want them to feel like they had to bring back DVDs one week 
and then there are books the next week. Um, so we just made a standard borrowing period for all those items, but now things are back to normal. So you can find all of those loan periods on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So now, if there are people who have fees on their accounts, um, Will you be getting in touch with them, or are you asking them if they know they've got overdue books, are you asking them to even get in touch with you ahead of time, before they even bring the books back, just to say, okay, yeah, just found out, I found the book, I'm going to be bringing it in? Um, People are welcome to come in and mention that to us if they're bringing the books back, but we are working through people's um, records, but Mm -hmm. if they want to get the process done a little bit faster, they can just call us or come in or send us an email. Um, And like I said before, some of the fees will still apply, so if you have a lost item... Um, that will still show up on your account. Yeah, or if you bring back in a if you bring in a book and it doesn't have a front cover anymore. Yes. Yeah. We may we may not want it. <laughs> no. Oh, you, you may want to discuss um, replacement costs, shall we say? <laughs> exactly. Okay, Amy, if you can just hang on for a couple of minutes, we're going to take a quick break, and then I've got some other stuff I want to talk to you about about uh, stuff coming up at the library. Sounds after, good. After nine. Those eligible can now book for Phase 2 of the COVID-19 vaccinations. Seniors over 80, Indigenous peoples over 65, hospital staff, community general practitioners, and staff in community home support and nursing for seniors all qualify. Appointments can be made between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. seven days a week by calling toll-free 1-844-255-7555. Full details and step-by-step instructions are available online at gov.bc.ca slash first. Although crews with the City of Prince George patch potholes and unclog catch basins all year long, these operations ramp up with the first big melt of the year. Help keep roads as smooth as possible by contacting the City's service centre when you spot a pothole or large puddle on the road. Dial 311 within City Limits, email 311 at princegeorge.ca, or submit a service request at princegeorge.ca or via the City app. Motorists are also encouraged to exercise extra caution while driving during the snowmelt season. The government of B.C. has expanded its Launch Online Grant Program. The program will now provide up to $75,000 to help businesses build or expand an e-commerce site. Businesses in the hard-hit tourism sector and the service industry can now access the grant to build or improve their online booking systems. Small and medium-sized businesses can apply online and review eligibility criteria at launchonline.ca. The Launch Online Grant Program. Application deadline is September 30th or until funds have been fully subscribed so don't delay. The Prince George Council of Seniors and the Native Friendship Center are continuing their virtual grandmother's gatherings. Sign up to enjoy a free lunch while sharing stories, wisdom, experiences, laughter, and tears. Registration and more information is available through the Council of Seniors or Native Friendship Center or by emailing ld.pgcos at gmail.com or eanderlini at pgnfc.com. The next virtual grandmother's gathering is Friday, May 28th from 11 to 1230. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, Amy, we're into the beginning of May. I think I can safely say we are into spring in Prince George. Do you guys at the library notice a difference in what types of books people are checking out as we get into the various seasons, like spring? Oh, definitely. Like, there's a big demand for gardening books Mm -hmm. around this time of year. Um, People are interested in outdoor projects. Um, So, yeah, we definitely notice that things change 
as the seasons change. And so I assume that also means you probably adjust your displays at the library for those things as well. Exactly. Right now we're running a display on May the 4th. (laughs) Gee, what's May the 4th all about, he asked. (laughs) Uh, So we've got a lot of sci-fi, a lot of Star Wars books out right now, um, and people seem to be enjoying that. Now, the other thing that's coming up in the very near future, and I assume already well into the planning process, is summer programs at the library. What's happening there this year? Is everything still going to be virtual, or are you planning for some of them to maybe be able to meet in person? Yeah, we're looking at doing some um, programs for children and teens in the Knowledge Garden. Mm-hmm. So um, we're working on our COVID safety plan and what that would look like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely want to offer some in-person programs. Um, as long as our, you know, as we see COVID numbers continue to uh, fall a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we'd love to uh, to see some some children and teens in person if we can. Yeah. And I guess the thing is, as well, for people to realize is if they see a program being offered in the Knowledge Garden that they're interested in, they'll probably want to register fairly quickly because even though it's outside, it's still a restricted space. Yeah, so those programs will be very limited um, in the number of participants we can have. Um, But we're hoping to, especially with the children's uh, summer reading program, Mm -hmm. um, just have people sign up for one session. So there'll be six throughout the summer so that we can get as many kids participating in person as we can. Um, But we'll just stagger those sessions, you know, over the weeks. So now that's some of the big things. What about for adult stuff? Are there more adult programs during the summer as well? Um, we will be bringing back the Adult Summer Challenge. We've had great success with that for the past two summers that we've run it, so that will likely start in late June or early July. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll see some other programs. We have some astronomy programs coming, um, some with the Justice Education Society, so there should be lots to choose from for adults as well. I'm guessing the one that isn't coming back that I seem to recall you guys did offer at one time was the book club where they met at local uh, clubs and pubs. So, yeah, that yeah. book club has still been meeting, but virtually oh. right now. Okay. Um, and I don't I don't know if it will be back in person by summer. No, but the, but the fact it's still meeting means that people are still interested in it, obviously. So when things get back to where they should be, we can assume that one will probably keep going. Exactly. Yeah. Now, one program that I happened to notice, again, when I was online on the website, was, um, I think we talked about this earlier, I just wanted to remind people, the Tens to Teens Gaming Hour. Because yeah. That, yeah. And that's a weekly event, isn't it? That is a weekly event. That's a great event run by Chris, our teen librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great opportunity for kids to meet with other Tens to Teens throughout the city um, virtually and play a number of different games now do the games do you know do the games continue from week to week because i was noticing some of them are like role-playing games and stuff like that so do those continue from week to week so people can continue with the same characters or how how does that work i believe um for example with like dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. i believe it's a new campaign each week yeah so so it's got to be a fairly short campaign then because i played dungeons and dragons some years ago and it can take a while it can, but we just because we have different faces coming in each week, we just want to make sure that everyone is kind of starting from the same place. Yeah. And now, when does the uh, 10 to Teens Gaming Hour run? 
Oh, that's a great question, Alan, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but okay. it is listed on our website at pgpl.ca, so people can check there, and they can always call us if they, if they have questions about a program. And are, are, are some of these programs that are running now, are some of them likely to take a break over the summer because either yeah. A, your staff people are going to be going on holidays, or B, you're just saying, no, let's give people a break and get some other stuff going? Yeah, sometimes we do take a break in some of those programs over the summer, and we focus on our our summer programs almost mm-hmm. exclusively. So, um, yeah, you can expect to see a few changes when it comes to tens to teens programming this year. Yeah, but again, that's something where Chris, if he can figure a date out in advance for, say, it's going to be ending for now at the end of June, middle of June, say, he'll probably start mentioning each time that they can, we've got two more of these and then we'll be breaking for the summer. Absolutely, and then we know that a lot of these things will start up again in the fall. Yeah, and then, um, so now, how far ahead are you planning? Like, are you already planning fall events over there? Um, We have planned some children's programs for the fall, but right now we're just kind of looking at June, July, and August and getting all of our promotional materials, getting all of that stuff listed on the website, so you should see that coming in the next few weeks. And I guess part of the problem is, as it's been for the last year plus now, you don't you can't really plan too far in advance because you don't know what you're going to be able to do. Yeah, so we do, when we're planning these programs, we are thinking, you know, okay, if we're going to do it in person, this is what we need to know. Um, If we're going to do it virtually, like that's kind of our backup plan. So um, we'll see what's happening in the fall. We know that uh, post-secondary institutions are planning on offering in-person classes. So um, we're hoping we can do some more in-person things. Now, how often do the staff from the library go out to schools? Uh, fairly regularly mm-hmm. uh, when it's not a pandemic. No. Um, yeah. We often have um, our teen librarian going out to high schools to do virtual tours to talk about programs. Um, we do a lot of school tours for elementary students in June, mm-hmm. um, so that will be a little bit different this year. Um um, but we love to have them in in June because they come in, they tour the library, and then we ensure that they all have a library card going into the summer. And you probably also just very casually mentioned the Summer Reading Club, right? Uh, maybe not so casually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was trying to give you a bit of a break there, Amy. <laughs> um, so with the summer programs and then into the fall, how many of the programs that – um, the staff are working on that might be for the fall, are they already saying, you know, this has worked so well virtually, let's maybe just keep it there because it actually seems to almost work better virtually than when we were meeting in person? I I don't think that we say that as often with no. the children's programs, no. but one thing we've noticed for baby time, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but we're getting completely different families come into the virtual program. Oh. So there are some conversations around, you know, mm-hmm. con- continuing to offer that in addition to an in-person program. Okay. So you've got people where maybe, for one reason or another, the mom or the dad can't leave the house or doesn't feel comfortable leaving the house to take part in the program, but they can do it online without a problem. Yeah, it can be really tough to get out of the house with a baby. So um, if you can just turn on your computer and... Um, that can be easier for some people. Others prefer, you know, uh, being in the same space with other new parents. Yeah. And it, I guess, yeah, I guess to some extent you can still sort of do that virtually, but it's not the same, is it? 
No. It's sort of like doing an interview with somebody over the phone instead of with them right across the table from you. Exactly, Alan. (laughs) Amy Donjo with the Prince George Public Library. One more time, what's the website so people can get all the information they need to know about how they can bring their books back no matter how long they've been overdue? Uh, PGPL.ca. Great. Amy, as always, pleasure to chat with you, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Take another quick break and be back with more after 9. The BC Schizophrenia Society has a brand new podcast series shining a light on the voices of mental illness. Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined takes a close look at the reality of serious mental illness and the role we can all play in helping those who live with it lead the most productive lives possible. Full details are available through the education link at bcss.org. Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a new podcast series on now through bcss.org. The Prince George Symphony Orchestra is into its final concert series for their 50th anniversary season. The spring series consists of three Sunday evening presentations and a special Sunday afternoon family performance of Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf. All concerts are being streamed with tickets available at pgso.com by phone at 250-562-0800 or at their Studio 2880 office. Don't miss the next presentation of the series, simply entitled Spring, 7.30 Sunday Evening. Construction has started on a new downtown child care center. The facility will provide 85 new child care spots, including 12 infant toddler spaces, 25 group child care slots for children ages 30 months to school age, and 48 school age spaces. The site, located along Queensway next to the Parkhouse condominiums, will be operated by the YMCA. More information is available through the news and notices link at princegeorge.ca. The YMCA Parkhouse Care and Early Learning Center is scheduled to open late this year. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon. Wind from the west at 20, a high of 12 with a high UV index. A few clouds tonight and a low of minus 1. For Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind southeast 20 in the afternoon, a high of 15 with a high UV index. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So a couple of new exhibitions opened recently, not Two Rivers Gallery, and I'm talking now with Betty Kovacic, who I think I can legitimately say is a big part of the All for Water event. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. And yourself? I'm doing great. Thank yeah, you. It's been a while since we've chatted. It has? But, yeah. Now... You are part of the All for Water, and there's that one, and an exercise in listening, both opened recently. But the reason I said you were a big part of the All for Water is you've got one piece in it, water Mm -hmm. equals life, but it is six feet by three feet. It is. Holy cow. I like working on a, I like working with a large format. (laughs) So is this isn't, is this the largest you've ever done then, or have you done bigger Mm. pieces? I have I have done bigger pieces. I think I have a piece in the Jubilee Lodge that's nine feet by five feet or four feet, and then I I've done uh, a few public art pieces for UNBC and also the one for the um, there's one at CNC, and that one is really big. That one is sixteen five sixteen by six feet. Holy cow! But it, it, that one is in sections because okay. it, a sixteen by six <laughs> foot canvas would weigh a whole lot, and it'd be way I, I wouldn't be able to maneuver it. No, I was about to say, and even 
getting it in there. You know, they've got the big doors and everything over there, but even then, that would be a challenge to get something that size into CNC. That's right. I hired someone. Oh, good. <laughs> now, water equals life. What is... So that's the name of your work in the All for Water. Is this a piece, because I know sometimes when they get these exhibitions, even when they put out the call, I've talked with some artists who have had pieces in them, and it turns out it's actually a piece that they had done on that theme, but they'd had it around for a while. Was that the case here, or was this something you just started when the call for proposals came out? It actually was kind of an, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Mm-hmm. So just to backtrack, yep. um, in my... In our greenhouse, there was a huge piece of copper on on a desk, and it had been uh, there for many, many years, many years, probably close to 20, and it was showing all the effects because at one time, you know, people did use pesticides and herbicides and all that, and it had marred the surface as had time. And I remember when I saw it for the first time, I I said to my um, then-partner, He's my husband now. Okay. Uh, you know, this would make a great art piece. And then when the call came, I was thinking, oh, what do I want to do? What do I want to do that's different? Because I wanted to stretch. <laughs> and I thought of this copper piece. And I said, hey, how would you feel about me using that? And he goes, well, I said, it before. And he goes, well, okay. But then I, I had to... Um, couldn't think of, of anything to do right away, and then it occurred to me, well, I have, there's two things. First of all, I have never, ever worked on salvaged copper. It's not the same as working on new copper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, of course, you know, being the timid person I am, I thought I would dip in and start right away with this huge piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I have a lot of creative courage. And... Um, yeah, so then I was thinking about, because uh, I did this specifically for the show, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about rivers, and I was thinking about how when they're viewed from a distance, they look like lines on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. And so then I thought of other things, and I thought, what's dependent on the river? Everything. It's life. It's like a circulatory system for the earth. It cleanses. It brings nourishment. It, it does everything. And so somehow the concepts start to tie together, and it became this humongatron. <laughs> it's a large piece, and it's heavy mm-hmm. as well, you know. But it was, I had kind of moved away from uh, the way I'd been working, and it was a new exploration. So it was really exciting to work with it. Now, is this the first time that you've done a piece on the importance of water, or is that something you've worked with before in terms of the theme of your work? I have worked with this theme many times. Mm-hmm. I have done sev- several pieces that address um, the, uh, there's a triptych earth, air, and water that was mm-hmm. shown at the Amanika Center this summer. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have delved into that topic many times. But you also have worked, I know, because as I say, we've talked before, you've worked in a lot of other areas as well. Did you when you when you first heard about the um, all for water exhibition and the call for you know, I think it's called what call for proposals? Did you immediately say, "Yeah, I'm going to do something that's six by three? No, no, <laughs> no. I, I I said to myself, "Oh," and I, you know, I, I was I'm teaching as well, right? Mm. At the college, which yeah. I love. And so I, in my mind, I said, you know, I'd like to do something, but I think I'm going to keep it a reasonable size this time. 
reasonable size. Yeah, so reasonable size for me is, you know, maybe two feet by three feet or something like that. Maybe a bit bigger. I do work quite large, like I do use large canvases. I like working on, you know, on large, on large things. (laughs) Now, when you sent in your proposal, and I assume it included what the size was, what kind of reaction did you get from the people down at the gallery when you said, I'm working on a piece that's going to be copper and it's going to be six feet by three feet? Well, when you, when, a, when an artist sends in a submission, mm-hmm. there's all these criteria that have to be met, yeah. and we don't actually get any feedback at all until we hear whether our piece has been accepted mm-hmm. into the exhibition or not. And, um, and nor, uh, I didn't hear any... Um, I didn't. I don't think I heard any response until I heard that yes, it's been accepted. At which time I did a happy dance. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, Alan, I have to say that um, any time an artist has a work um, accepted into the Two Rivers Gallery, which is such a high class gallery, uh, it's it's such a huge honor. Now, after it was accepted. Yep. Did they are did the gallery get in touch with you at all to say okay how exactly did you expect us to hang this here? Oh no no they're used to yeah. hanging really large pieces of art. So I I don't think that was that was asked but but what they do ask of course mm-hmm. or what they do uh what is stipulated is that the piece has to be ready for hanging. And so Ellen the copper sheet the edges are just sharp as razors. Yes. And and so when we were, I couldn't have done this without my husband, John mm-hmm. Ewing, honestly. Um, so he took the copper off the desk, which was a task in itself, and then he helped to flatten it. And it's not flat, it's old. Mm-hmm. It has wrinkles and bumps and all sorts of really cool things. And then he created a frame for it so we could attach it to a solid surface mm-hmm. so that I could work with it. And then, of course, the edges are super sharp. So then we had to we that would be the royal we. Yeah. Um, so then I, I I'm I'm his assistant in this case. Ah, okay. And uh, so then we we uh, put a frame around it and then attached all the proper hardware, so that it would be, um, so that it has everything the gallery needs in order to hang it without too much trouble. One would hope. Yeah, and then, of course, you had the fun job of getting it out of your workshop into a vehicle and over to the gallery. Yeah, yeah, and that wasn't too bad. It was fairly heavy by this point, and it is fairly heavy because it needed a strong structure. But, yeah, we we got it out of the studio, carefully put it into the back of the truck, took it down to the gallery, and carefully took it into the gallery, and there it is now. So pretty exciting. And the other really cool thing are... Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this creative process for me and the, this particular painting is that I incorporated plexiglass with it as well. And so in addition to, gosh, you have to go see it, people, there's hundreds of, of creatures drawn all around this copper piece. Yeah. And they're all intertwined because that's my philosophy. Everything is intertwined. But then I also have a um, plexiglass sheet um, that's suspended uh, maybe an inch and a half from the surface of the copper. Mm -hmm. And it has a drawing of a... It it has something on there, too. It has a drawing and something else. Okay. Yeah, and it just brings it all together, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in different ways, so... 
Okay. Betty, we're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about yes. painting and stuff. Yes, after thank nine. you. Omanika Arts Centre needs your help. A locally-led, artist-run, not-for-profit since 2018, the Omanika Arts Centre needs approximately $60,000 to cover this year's operating budget. A GoFundMe charity fundraising campaign has been started to generate the funds needed to continue as an important venue for the local arts community. To make your donation, visit GoFundMe.com and search for Omanika Arts. Check out the current total and make your donation today to save Omanika Arts Centre at GoFundMe.com. Rising temperatures means rising water. Take time now to prepare your property, home, and family in the event of flooding. Have a grab-and-go kit ready in case you have to leave your home quickly. Pay attention to local media for flood warnings. Keep a safe distance away from fast-flowing water. And prepare personal emergency supply kits for your home, car, and work. Learn more about preparing for possible flooding on the Regional District website. Think ahead and be ready. Visit rdffg.bc.ca today. Be online at the end of May to enjoy musical offerings from Cuba, Sweden, Canada, and New Zealand, all from the comfort and safety of home. The BC Choral Federation Core Fest 2021 is available Friday, May 28th and Saturday, May 29th through bcchoralfed.com. Featuring the most international lineup of presenters in the festival's history, it's a must for choral music fans. BCCF Core Fest 2021, Friday, May 28th and Saturday, May 29th. Early bird registration is available through May 15th at bccoralfed.com. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Equip Yourself, Knowledge and Skills to Help Get the Support You Need, Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information about dementia at alzbc.org. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Now, Betty, one thing we haven't really talked about is, uh, partly because I've been still so stunned at the size of this piece and the fact that it's in copper, um, how long did it take you to, to create Water Equals Life? I don't know, but I knew I do know that I, because of teaching and so on, I didn't actually get a start a start on it. I think until December, and it was due sometime. The submission and the photograph was due, I think, sometime in, in at the beginning of March, maybe. Wow. Yeah, something, something like that. I'm not sure. So I know that uh, while I was. Uh, not teaching, I spent hours and hours and hours in the studio, and there was a lot of research and drawings that had to be created in order to find the things that I wanted to put, the images that I wanted to put on it. So I can't say how many hours, but it took a long time. (laughs) Because when I'm working on a project like this and I have time, it's not unusual for me to be in the studio for 12 or even more hours. I work, you know, I'd work into the night and just work every every moment I could uh, so that I could uh, get the piece done and get it photographed properly and get the proper, you know, to do a proper professional submission takes a little bit of time. And so, yeah, it took a long time. I, I would say if I had to guesstimate, I'd probably say over 150 hours. Wow. Now, was there any point during that where you were kind of saying, oh, why couldn't I have done something smaller? 
<laughs> yeah, maybe when I started. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I do think that, and because and, I do work largely, and I go, geez, you know, it maybe it would be easier to work in miniatures, <laughs> but yeah. somehow it seems to be the large ones. And uh, But, you know, the thing about working large, like on a large format, is that's really exciting. It gives you room to expand your ideas and uh, create things as you move across. So for me, it just is is a great way to work. And obviously, it's because, I guess in some respects, it's because you've sort of gotten used to that, haven't you? You're used to working, as you said, on the larger pieces. So, Mm -hmm. So somebody who had maybe had maybe put some stuff into the uh, best damn little art auction ever where it's like six inches by six inches and then decided, hey, I'm going to paint something really big, they probably wouldn't make it, would they? Oh, they would, but it would certainly be a big growth. <laughs> and, you know, I would recommend to people that if, if I mean, everyone has to work in their own way. Artists are individual beings, and, and that's awesome. You know, but often a stretching in increments can be easier than one great big leap. Yeah. Now, have you had a chance to go down to the gallery and see the piece on the wall? I haven't. That's oh, okay. the th- I'm doing that this Sunday. Okay. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Yeah, and I guess the nice thing about this one is you're not going to have to look too hard to find it, are you? No, I don't think so. But, you know, the other thing that's really cool, Alan, is, that, you know, there's going to be um, other work in the gallery, yeah. and I'm sure it's going to be very wonderful. So it's just really great to go down there and to see how the paintings, all in, or paintings, art pieces, etc., all interact with each other to present this concept of uh, all for water. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is you as an artist would probably go in there and look at how the pieces are laid out by the um, curatorial staff. I don't know for sure who put this one together. I'm thinking it may have been Megan hunter Gauthier. But you you look at how she laid out all these pieces and realize how they all, I hate to use the word when we're talking about water, but how they all flow. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, the, um, the Two Rivers Gallery really does beautiful installations. They're very thoughtful. They're very well planned out. And uh, I've never been disappointed, so I'm sure that I'm going to be delighted this time as well. Okay. Betty Kovacic, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today about Water Equals Life, now on down to Rivers Gallery in the All for Water display. Betty, I'm sure we'll be talking in the future about art. You bet we will. Thank you so much for your interest in, this sh- in my work and in this show. Not a problem. Thanks, Betty. Welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. So, again... Um, we, we talked about books to start with. With uh, Well, we talked about a book to start with, with uh, Doug Jack and the Rattlesnakes, Airplanes, and Gold coming out in June, he hopes, and, of course, Woogie's History Corner. Then we had Amy Donjel talking about all kinds of books. And now we just wrapped up today's show with uh, Betty Kovacic and her large piece of art, Water Equals Life, which is on at the All for Water, down Two Rivers Gallery, and that exhibition, as well as the an exercise in listening, will be on until July 4th. And if you just uh, go online to their website, you can find out what hours they're open. Um, now, I, I'm going to be back tomorrow, and so is Steve on the board, I hope. But uh, so tomorrow, 
we're going to be talking about art again to start with. Uh, a new art gallery opening downtown recently, the Esthete Art Gallery. We will be chatting with a couple of people from there. We're also going to be talking with Catherine Kendall about, um, well, basically, I think it's going to be about therapy horses. She runs this sort of thing where every summer she brings her horses into the city and does uh, therapy classes with them. And then a fellow who has been on the show a couple of times before, Norm Coyne. There is a new movie shooting in Prince George right now. I believe Norm, he was the director, I think, on... A Great North Christmas. I believe he's the producer on this film, but we'll find all about that from Norm. Just a quick reminder to people as well, uh, keep your eyes open in the mail in the next few days because you should be getting a letter from Census, Canadian Census Department. Well, Steve's saying he's got his already. I haven't. They're ignoring me. But uh, please fill it out. they the big thing is it gives you instructions on, as I understand it, Steve, it gives you instructions on how to do it online, right? Yeah, you get a a little envelope. You open it up. Yep. You've got a code. Mm-hmm. It's a 16 uh, uh, digital code. Right. You go online and you enter your code. You do the quick uh, survey boom, and boom, you're boom. out of there. Okay. Yeah, because I, I'm trying to remember. Again, things change so much. Oh, because and it of is the, the law. Yes. But things have changed so much because of the pandemic because I know there used to be a short and a long. And I'm not sure whether they may have, for the most part, gotten rid of the long this year just to, to avoid... Well, they got rid of a lot of paperwork is what they oh, did. Yes. Yeah, and my understanding is as well, in that letter as well, there are instructions. If, for instance, you need to have it uh, in Braille or something like that, if mm-hmm. you need to fill it in Braille, there is a way that you can get in touch with somebody to get the a copy of it. The information in that folder tells you everything. Perfect. And then you just go online, it takes a couple minutes, and yep. you're out of there. Okay. Uh, another quick reminder as well about something coming up on Thursday. It's uh, Spirit Day, Spirit of North Healthcare Foundation fundraising campaign uh, from 7 till 7. They are located at the uh, Prestige Treasure Cove Hotel, but they do ask, of course, you just call in 250-565-2800, and you can direct your donation to one of the areas that they uh, cover. That'll do it for today's show. Steve and I will be back tomorrow after 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to Boomer Radio 93.1 CFIS-FM. Proudly sponsored by Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Civic Plaza.